Good morning. So I know we have uh, some new folks with us. My name is Thomas Kovacs. I'm the associate pastor here at Summit Bible Church, and occasionally I get right into this pulpit and preach a sermon. And so Pastor Morgan's asked me to take this one. We're doing our marriage and family series, God's Design According to His Word. And last Sunday, we heard the first part of this series in Pastor Morgan's sermon that was titled, God's Design for Marriage. We went all the way back to the second chapter of Genesis, which gives us the detailed account of God's creation of man and woman in his image. And we were reminded that marriage is a sacred institution established by him in which he unites a man and a woman together as one for life. When God created man from the dust of the ground, and then the woman from the man, and then brought the two together as one, he blessed them. And the first command he gave to them was, be fruitful and multiply. God not only established marriage as a sacred covenant commitment between a man and a woman, he also established Romance, that is, sexual activity, as a sacred gift within marriage. And as you see on your bulletin, the title of the sermon today is Romance in Marriage, part two of the Marriage and Family series. Romance in marriage not only powerfully incentivizes procreation, Be fruitful and multiply. He certainly gave them an incentive in that. But it also fortifies in an unsurpassably delightful way the relational lifelong bond between a husband and wife. It fortifies that relationship. Romance is an incredibly good gift from God that is to be celebrated according to God's design and enjoyed exclusively between a man and a woman who are married to one another. It is a good thing. Let us now turn to Proverbs 5. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. We'll look at some other texts. But if you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 5, that was our scripture reading this morning. And our central text starts in verse 15. And this is the book of God's wisdom. Instruction and wisdom for life in this fallen world that we might live skillfully. And so now we're going to see and consider God's wisdom given through Solomon for us on the matter of romance, romantic love. So let's read it along, and we'll, we'll read verses 15 through 21. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. 
a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delights. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Now, you may have noticed the repeated use of water-related metaphors at the first half of this passage. Obviously, Solomon was not trying to communicate the importance of staying hydrated or conserving water, although that is, you know, in Southern California, we understand, all right, don't waste it. But as can be seen in the second half of the passage, he's, he was making the point that a man is to get his sexual gratification exclusively from his own wife and not from some other woman. We see in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Water in these illustrations represents sexual affections and activity. And Solomon was telling his son that he should be seeking this exclusively from his own private water source, from his own wife. His refreshment should be obtained, in other words, at home. He is to get all of his sexual satisfaction from his wife and from her alone. And then we read in verses 16 through 17, Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Now the the springs and, and streams of water in verse 16 refer to a husband's sexual affections and activity. And Solomon asks rhetorically if that is something that should be scattered abroad in the streets literally in the open plazas, that is, in the town squares and busy public places. In other words, the rhetorical question is, should your sexual affections and activity spill outside of your home, outside of your marriage, and be shared with forbidden women, strangers who are not your wife by covenant? The obvious answer is no. They are to be personally personally guarded and exclusively directed towards your wife. This is what he's instructing his son in. All of us, when we consider these things, we consider that God's word is spoken on these things, we we need to have a high view of sex. And by that I mean that we need to view it and treat it as something that is sacred, and not common. The author of Hebrews stated, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Hebrews 13, 4. You see, God designed sex to be the greatest and most delightful expression of intimacy between a husband and wife. You have, as those who have covenanted together and come together as one flesh, that is an intimate relationship. And there are many ways in which you experience that intimacy. And this good gift here is the greatest and most delightful expression of that intimacy in that one flesh union. And enjoying it according to God's design brings great blessing. In verse 18, we read, 
Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. The blessing here refers to the direct blessing of God. You will, in other words, experience divinely blessed sexual gratification when you get it exclusively from your wife, men. And same for you, wives. It'll be divinely blessed. That satisfaction, that delight will be blessed by God. No greater sexual satisfaction can be found than that which comes from your spouse. Because only their dispensing of sexual refreshment will be blessed by God. There's no blessing on sex outside of that which is enjoyed between a husband and wife in the lifelong covenant of marriage. There is no blessing upon it. It is sin. It is destructive. It is soul-destroying. So Solomon says and urges his son, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Men, rejoice in your wives. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Yes, he does. Rejoice in your wives, men. When it comes to marital faithfulness, God's wisdom for us is not just that we should avoid the sexual temptation of the forbidden outsider, but that we should dive headlong into intimacy with our spouse. That's wisdom. Wisdom is not just, let me stay away from those temptations. Wisdom is, I will do that, I will flee from those temptations, stay away, and I will dive headlong into the arms of my spouse and delight in their love and be refreshed. In verse 19, coming off of the call to rejoice in the wife of your youth, it goes on to say, a lovely deer, a graceful Doe, literally a, a graceful ibex. It's another deer-like creature. You're like, ibex? What do you, what'd you, what'd you call me? <laughs> well, the deer and the ibex, well, at the end of the day, they're elegant creatures. Known for their pleasant appearance and graceful movements. They were also viewed in ancient times as symbols of life and joy. Because of their ability to survive and even demonstrate a wonderful liveliness in the midst of a rugged wilderness. Solomon is therefore associating the, the wife of a man's youth, the, his wife, with life and joy. The forbidden woman, on the other hand, Solomon associates with bitterness and death. So men, the, the sexual love of your wife is is a powerful counterforce to the sexual enticements of other women. And again, the reverse is true. So when we read Proverbs, it is directed to the, the male youth to set him up for wisdom in, in life in this fallen world. But you understand that these principles uh, apply to all of us in many ways. And, and so for ladies, when you see these commands or these, these wisdom principles, the reverse is true as well. The same thing is being said to you, to rejoice in your spouse. To rejoice in your husband. And he goes on in verse 19. What does he say? Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Which you say, well, I think I know what that means. Well, the Hebrew word that is translated as 
fill here in the ESV is translated as satisfy in most other translations. It literally means to give, to drink abundantly, or to refresh. So the Hebrew text in this part of the verse then literally says, let her breasts refresh you at all times. And don't miss the phrase, at all times. You see it there. It's in the text, right? All right, just making sure we're looking at the same thing here. This means that whenever the husband is thirsty, he should go to his wife for refreshment. And she should refresh him. And the same is true regarding the wife's desires. Both the husband and the wife are to be for each other an unending source of complete sexual satisfaction. They are to bless one another in this way, serve one another in this way, give themselves to one another in this way. It is truly an act of love. It's not merely a recommendation, but instruction in wisdom. To do otherwise, otherwise would be foolishness, would be folly. It's not merely a suggestion also, but a, a command. Romance and sexual gratification and fulfillment is part of God's design for marriage. It's not an optional feature, but an essential component. It's part of a husband and wife's ongoing responsibility to one another. The Apostle Paul stressed this point in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Go ahead and turn there. All the way over into your, and you can hold your place in Proverbs. It's a very important chapter relating to singleness and marriage. But in verses 2 through 5, here's what the Apostle Paul taught. This is the Lord's instruction through the Apostle Paul. He said, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Literally, pay what is owed to the wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband, to pay what is owed to them. You see, romance in marriage is, is not to be, it's not to be viewed as a, a form of compensation, where it is, it, it's, it's not a reward for your spouse that your spouse has to earn from you. You see, it's not a form of compensation. Nor is romance in marriage to be viewed as a bargaining chip. It's not yours to withhold and use as leverage to get something you want from your spouse, as we see in 1 Corinthians 7. Romance in marriage is the God-given right of both spouses. Husbands and wives have every right to receive refreshment from one another, and neither of them have the right to withhold it from the other. And Paul goes on, for the wife does not have authority over her own body. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> and in today's society, in today's culture, right? My body, right? Is my body. Well, when you get married, it's not anymore. Two become one flesh, right? If we remember the text of Ephesians 5, right? 
That's why the exhortation, husbands, love your wives as your own body. If you're not loving them sacrificially, if you're not loving them um, and serving them uh, for their good, uh, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're hurting yourself. Uh, he who does not love his wife is, is hating himself. And again, before there's too much uproar about down with the patriarchy, um, verse 4, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does likewise. Likewise. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You belong to each other. And then he says in verse 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Do you see how important these qualifiers are? That you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here's the thing. If you, are re- if you are not receiving sexual refreshment from your spouse, then the reality is you are at greater risk of falling into temptation. There's a tension there. And the temptation will be greater in this area. Also, if you are not giving sexual refreshment to your spouse, then you are causing your spouse to be at greater risk of falling into temptation. Again, we, we each are responsible for our own choices, our own actions, right? But as husband and wife, and really as, as those who care about someone else, you don't want to put a stumbling block in front of someone, right? We want to help one another honor the Lord. We want to strengthen them, to aid them. And Paul is saying that that depriving one another is putting yourselves at risk of being susceptible to temptation in this area. So if you truly love one another, husbands and wives, then you will not deprive one another. And by the way, when you fulfill your responsibility to refresh your spouse, do it joyfully from the heart. Right? It, is not, it is not to be seen as a, my marital obligation, I shall do my duty, husband, Right? It is, it is a beautiful design, a beautiful gift that God's given. And it is a, a beautiful way to bless and your spouse and to do it joyfully from the heart. Because if it's not being joyfully from the heart, uh, it's not blessed. Do not do it reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And your spouse desires a cheerful lover. Husbands, rejoice in your wives. Wives, rejoice in your husbands. Do not just rejoice in receiving, but also, and more importantly, rejoice in giving. And you've got to think about this. What is love? What does it mean to love someone? At the end of the day, it's, it's sacrificial. It's something that you give for their benefit. Love is serving someone for their benefit. It's actually selfless and is to serve them for their good, right? So when we really think about God's design for romance and marriage, right? And, of course, we're familiar with it. Making love, right? And, again, society or in culture, we kind of think of the the feelings. But we lose sight of the fact that love in any context is an act of service for the good of the other. Is it not? So keep that in mind when we think about romance and marriage. 
There's joy in giving. And certainly there's joy in receiving. And God has blessed this union. You are called to lovingly serve one another in this way. Now, back in Proverbs 5, looking at verse 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, we see that a man is not only to rejoice in his wife and continually be refreshed by her, he is also, verse 19, to be intoxicated always in her love, which essentially means intoxicated always by her lovemaking, when they make love. Be intoxicated always in her love. The Hebrew word uh, verb translated as be intoxicated means stagger or lose your ability to walk straight. In the literal sense, of course, it's the effect that alcoholic drinks will have on you when you consume them in excess and get drunk. But here Solomon was using the verb in a positive sense, and in a figurative sense, and making the following point. Not only should a man be fully refreshed and satisfied by his wife's love, by his wife's sexual refreshment, but that he should also be exhilarated and, yes, intoxicated by it. The sexual love between a husband and wife should not be formal and reserved. Rather, it should be full-on, mutually unrestrained indulgence says the Lord. Be intoxicated by each other's love. Rejoice in one another. Refresh one another. Be intoxicated by one another. And you're like, I read that in the book of wisdom. That was in Proverbs right there. Wisdom principles. Sexual pleasure is, is God's gift to a husband and wife, a gift that they are to completely enjoy together and use to its full potential. God not only blesses, but encourages loving, unrestrained physical intimacy in marriage. And it is said to the husband and wife, featured in Song of Songs, the Song of Songs, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, given all that Solomon had said to his son up to this point, he then asked him in verse 20, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Obviously a rhetorical question. You have your own private, divinely blessed source of sexual refreshment that you have exclusive and continual access to. There's nothing better than that that this world has to offer. How foolish it is to seek sexual satisfaction outside of your marriage. How sinful it is. To do so is to venture outside of God's blessing and onto the path of destruction. One commentator says, in view of the better way of conjugal bliss with the blessed wife, involvement with the unchaste woman is absurd. And I would add that such involvement, whether it's the husband with another woman or the wife with another man, such involvement starts with your sexual attention, directing it towards others. 
whether they are out in public, in the workplace, or on the internet, and not just explicit porn sites or something like that, but even on social media, your attention being directed away from your spouse to others. It starts there. Such attention will draw your affections away from your spouse and start you out on a road to ruin. It starts with your attention. We should have eyes only for the one we are covenanted to love for life. And we should fix our eyes on them in that way. We must not think that we're stronger than we really are and open that door to temptation that would lead us down that path. Solomon gives the following warning about marital unfaithfulness. Verses 21 to 23 in this chapter of Proverbs we see this, he says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. So you think, you direct your gaze away, and it leads you away from your spouse. There's another gaze that you must remember. It is the gaze of God. Your ways are before him. Nothing is done in secret. He beholds it all, and he ponders your paths Verse 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Here we are reminded that the Lord is watching. He sees and ponders everything that a person does. And no matter how hard someone may try to commit sin in secret and try to keep it from being made known, the reality is, that the Lord always knows. Nothing can be hidden from his sight. And especially in our day and age with, with the problem of pornography or pornographic material via the internet, this little window, even smaller, tiny little thing that can be with you anywhere that opens the door to countless innumerable opportunities to take you down that road. And yet, in the dark corner, in the middle of the night, wherever it is, the Lord is watching. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Nothing can be hidden from his sight. If you choose to go outside of the moral boundaries that God has established, then he will make sure that you reap the bitter and destructive consequences. Again, this is just the, the, the principle that what one reaps, he will sow. It's the way God built this world. God, yes, shows mercy, chooses to show mercy many times, often. But there are still consequences to sin, consequences that are ours because we planted those seeds, and we are now going to reap them. Again, Hebrews 13:4. let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You cannot fool God or evade him. He cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. And if you look at verse 22, see that the truth that your own sin will ensnare you. 
It's the language. It'll ensnare you. One commentator says this, the husband who chooses to live promiscuously will eventually find himself bound, trapped, and tied up in cords of his own sins. Isn't that the case so often with pornography? And certainly many other uh, actions of venturing out God's design and not being faithful. But somehow... Society kind of thinks there's, a, there's an exception there because it's just looking at something on the computer. It's not as bad, but it is. Another commentator explains the warning this way. While the foolish man may take steps to hide his sordid affair from the eyes of others and may put all thought of God out of his mind, God's all-seeing eyes upon him, watching and observing, weighing and judging. But there is no thunderbolt from heaven to strike him down, Rather, by threading his path to folly's door, he is threading a noose around his own neck, like a senseless bird weaving the net which will ensnare it. It's powerful imagery. And yet that's how sin works. It does not reward, it destroys. It slowly destroys and enslaves. So rejecting God's wisdom and indulging in the fleeting pleasures of sexual sin is self-destructive and will lead you to ruin. Sexual activity outside of marriage is self-centered, self-serving, faithless, and unloving. Much of what we hear in our culture about romantic love is that kind of love, which is not love at all. Whatever they may call it, whatever kind of songs they might write about it, If it is outside of God's design, it is self-centered. It is self-serving. It's about what I can get, exploiting others for my own gratification. There's no commitment there. It is faithless. It is unloving. What ought men and women to do instead? Well, they ought to have a high and godly view of sex and esteem it as a good gift from God that he has given to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman and in no other way. Be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Understand the will of the Lord in this area. Scripture says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So what ought husbands and wives to do? They ought to embrace God's wisdom and indulge in the divinely blessed pleasures of romance in marriage. They ought to rejoice in one another and be refreshed and intoxicated by each other's giving of themselves for their mutual delights. This is one of the uh, invisible application points on there. I wasn't going to write these out. But hopefully you are taking those key points there. The design and delights of marital love are not only presented in Solomon's divinely inspired instruction and wisdom. They're also showcased and celebrated in his divinely inspired love song. That is referred to as the song of songs. And he, he wrote over a thousand, so that's, that's saying something. This is considered the greatest. In this song, Solomon wrote 
of the engagement, the wedding, and the newlywed days of his first love, the wife of his youth. So you can go ahead and turn to Song of Songs. I want you to see, there's a few passages I want to show you. Just two books over. Of course, in the ESV, they have the title, The Song of Solomon. The scripture says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. But it helps you understand, it's not just his, his song. He wrote a lot. He had 1,005 songs, according to scripture. This is the Song of Songs. And as I said, this is important because we think about well, Solomon. Yeah, didn't he, uh, didn't he uh, you know, get a lot of wives and concubines and stuff like that and have moral failure in that part of it? Yes, he did. Later on in his life, yes, he did. It started happening. But, but this song is looking back and reflecting upon or is likely written during this time, the period of the engagement, the wedding, and the newlywed days with his first love, the wife of his youth. The wife of his youth. If you want to see a great example of what it means to have romance in marriage, look no further, ladies and gentlemen. The Song of Songs. If you want to see what it looks like to rejoice in your spouse, this song will show you the way. Did you know that? It's been sitting in your Bible the whole time. In this song, Solomon and the wife of his youth, and again, I, you know, Proverbs 5 was the base text. This is the bonus round. We're in Song of Songs. In this song, Solomon and the wife of his youth proclaim their love and desire for one another and shower each other with words of affection and praise. Let me tell you, that is crucial both to getting excited for marriage and then cultivating romance throughout marriage. And, and I, I, so for those of you who are single and looking ahead towards marriage, there's instruction for you here. Because there's a way to celebrate God's good gift with restraint during that period of time before you get married to someone. You can cultivate uh, your, your affection for one another by showering each other with words of affection and praise. And of course, when you get married, that is just the beginning. And it's on into the rest of your marriage that you should cultivate romance in these ways. So it's crucial to get excited for marriage and then cultivate marriage by using your words, expressing desire. Proclaim your love and desire for one another. Shower each other with words of affection and praise. That is one principle you can gain from Song of Songs. Build each other up. Make the other know that he or she is loved and desired by you. And perhaps, well, I guess everybody could work at this a lot more. I was going to say men probably struggle in this area. Well, it depends. Because sometimes in the, the dating years, I don't know, perhaps they were very romantic and showering with praise and doing all sorts of things to show their desire for the one that they loved. And the key is when you get married that you keep at it. But listen to this back and forth between Solomon and his bride-to-be. This is right at the beginning. So this is before they're married, but listen to this. In chapter 1, starting in verse 15, 
You see that? And of course, there's the little headings, he, she. There's the back and forth between Solomon and his bride-to-be. What does he say? Starting in verse 15. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She says in return, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, or handsome. You know. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. By the way, I'm not talking about the furniture. They're outside in a grove. Describing nature, actually. Our couch is green. We're out in nature. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. You see, we're in a grove. I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And, and just so you know, this is helpful one commentator explain this, that this is not self-praise, but a very modest self-appraisal on her part. What she's saying is that she's, she's only one of many flowers, as in girls, you know, other girls, I'm just one, many girls. What does he say? Was well, a lily among brambles, so is my love among young women, builds her up. Lily among flowers, no, no, lily among brambles, that's what you are to me. And she says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Yeah, I've got a lot of pine trees, and stuff, but this apple tree, that's what you are, special. So you see that. This is, this is during their engagement, their betrothal. Not married yet, but what are they doing? Using their words, they're expressing the desire for one another. And by the way, in a dignified way, in a tasteful way. Giving each other such special attention and verbalizing your desire for one another will stir up your affections for one another more and more. I mean, if there's one big lesson for the song of songs, it is on the power of words. Power of words. So for you couples in here, do you remember the things that you did when you first met to show each other that you were interested? To drop the hints, to show them that you're interested? Do you remember the, the thoughtfulness that you would show, the, the attention that you would give, the sweet things that you would say? Listen, never stop doing those kinds of things. And if you have, start doing them again. Write that down. Start doing it again. Whatever worked to get her to marry me, shouldn't have stopped, will start today. One of the best pieces of advice that I received before I got married, over 12 years ago, and I've held on to and applied ever since, is this. Never stop dating your wife. Never stop dating each other. Keep at it. Now, during the engagement period in Song of Songs, it's chapters 1 and 2, Solomon and his bride-to-be, they, they openly communicated their desire for one another, but restrained themselves from fulfilling those desires until marriage because of their commitment to honor God's design. And there's blessing in that. Then came the day of the wedding in chapter 3, which Solomon referred to as the day of the gladness of his heart. Yes, he did. That's right. The day of the gladness of his heart. And the night of the wedding depicted in chapter 4 was when Solomon and his bride had finally had full joyous access to one another and rights to the physical and spiritual delights of each other's love. 
He referred to her as a garden fountain. You see similar language here as Proverbs 5. He referred to her as a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams. And she said to him, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. And then a voice of approval sounds forth at this moment in the song, which is right at chapter 5, verse 1. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Now, in case you think that this is just an example of, you know, wedding night passion, it's their wedding night, but not everyday marriage passion, think again. Because in chapter 7, here's what we see. We see that they continued to cultivate the passion and romance in their marriage long after the wedding night. So if you turn over to chapter 7, verse 6, starting there, I just want you to hear this. And yes, when, when you read the song, it feels like the temperature goes up in the room. But also notice how dignified the expression of of desire is in this song. Starting in verse 6, this is him speaking to her, how beautiful and pleasant you are, oh loved one. Again, this is on into marriage. This ain't wedding night anymore, right? How beautiful and pleasant you are, oh loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. And she says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, so a romantic getaway, Whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. See, now when you read this song, sometimes you're like, okay, I can feel the romance. I don't understand exactly mandrakes and stuff, but you kind of do, right? You understand enough to benefit from just a reading of the text. But see how they speak to one another. That's what I want you to see. See how they speak to one another. Both of them. The mutual communication of romantic desire is what is on full display in the Song of Songs. You've got to realize that this isn't, it's not uh, uh, describing the act, right? It's not an account of, The actions, it's account of the words to one another in this song. Their communication of romantic desire to one another. So giving each other such special attention and verbalizing your desire for one another will stir up your affections for one another more and more and fan the flames of passion in your marriage and even pour accelerant on them at times. You need to speak to one another. Set your attention and affections on one another. Praise one another. Build each other up. Use your words. That's how you cultivate romance in your marriage. That's how you let it blossom and thrive. It starts there. What is evident from this passage is that Solomon 
romantically pursued the wife of his youth, and she was going to abundantly refresh him in return. She was, she was confident of his love, and she was receptive to his advances. Why? Because of how much he expressed his desire for her. So husbands, never stop pursuing your wife. You know, never stop dating each other. Never stop pursuing one another. And especially husbands. I mean, this is kind of more how the dance goes, right? The husband pursues. The wife, maybe she plays hard to get, but notices the advanced stuff, but he is on the chase for the one that he has set his affection on, and he pursues her. And when they get married, though, that's the thing. The pursuit should still be on daily. So husbands, never stop pursuing your wife. Make your desire for her known on a regular basis. And again, we saw an example of how that's done well in the Song of Songs, right? It is lovely. It is intentional. It is thoughtful. Make your desire for her known on a regular basis. Keep pursuing her. And wives, welcome the pursuit. Welcome his pursuit, and then let him catch you. Let him catch you all the time. Rejoice in one another and be refreshed by each other's love. Marriage is God's institution, and romance in marriage is his amazing gift for the man and woman whom he joins together as one. So let's esteem it and celebrate it. Let's speak of it biblically. Let's praise God for the good and generous gift that it is. Yet also, and be reminded of this fact, we should also rejoice that every Christian can look forward to experiencing even greater pleasures in the coming kingdom of God's beloved Son. Right? We see the height of joys that God has given in marriage in the union of man and woman in marriage and the great blessing that that is. But any even in that blessing, even the experience of that delight is unmatched, um, or the, the, the joys and the delights of heaven and the kingdom to come are going to far surpass even the greatest joys we can experience in this life. So let's honor God in this area. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have spoken quite abundantly on this subject because marriage is your design. It is your institution. And it is your blessing to have a man and a woman to be covenanted together as one in love and to enjoy one another. Father, we pray that we would honor and esteem marriage, and we pray that the marriage bed would be kept pure, that husbands and wives would indeed refresh one another and glorify you in that way in their marriage and strengthen their bond and, and love one another in that way. And we pray that for those who aren't married, that they would rejoice and celebrate in your design. And, and if they're heading towards marriage, to, to keep themselves pure and to be excited about that design for them. And at the, t uh, at the same time, Lord, to show that um, they, they can begin that pursuit with words, uh, tender words of affection for the one they are pursuing um, for marriage. And Lord, we thank you for just the fact that any good and perfect gift comes from you, and is to we glorify you by enjoying those things. And we also know that any good and perfect gift that we receive from you in this life is just a foretaste of those greater things that are to come. 
because of what you have done. You've reconciled us through faith in Jesus Christ. You've given us a hope and a future, the hope of glory, the hope of everlasting life in his kingdom, and he will make all things new, and sin will be taken away, and we can enjoy, experience the fullness of joy in your presence forever because of what he has done for us. We thank you for that living hope, and we pray that we would honor you with our lives here and now as we wait for the realization of that hope. Amen.